everybody welcome to the 233rd edition of the holy backboard podcast i am dustin here in rip city and i got my man sage chilling here in uh my mom's basement i i thought once you bought a house you were good i didn't think you'd have to deal with repairs but though we got a water leak at my mom's house so i was underneath the sink i un i undid the back of the wall where the dishwasher was trying to find this goddamn leak and little did I know, it was in the sink, just not in the, uh, I was looking in the left side of the sink, but it was in the right side of the sink, and it was leaking down to where my bedroom is in the basement. So home ownership isn't as fun as I thought it was, man. Bro, I mean, first of all, shout out to you for turning 30. You turned 30 on March 24th, but it's, 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 it's funny for me to hear you be like, yeah, homeownership's not all roses and sunshine. Like every weekend, there's something to there's there's always something to do when you are a homeowner. Whether it's yard work, whether it's cleaning, uh, small repairs, like like you said, it's it's if it's if it's not one thing, it, it's the other. So yes, it always keeps you on your toes. Uh, it, it's it's nice sometimes as long as the the foe you're, you're dealing with isn't too, you know, treacherous. It's, it's just something little like mowing the lawn. Like that's actually really enjoyable. Get out there, hear the birds chirping, hear the lawnmower going, get a little vitamin D. But if it's something like a leak, yeah, that, that can be a little bit, bit too much for, that's all, you know, you don't really want to deal with those too often. So I hope you get your, <laughs> your stuff handled, but yeah. That was dad that, talk. That, yeah. That was dad that's talk a, and neither a, of us are dads. That is a, I'm a cat dad, so uh, re- represent Ernie, Ernie and Telly, you know, that's how we roll. It, it was it was rough out here, man. Like, I'm here, to, I'm, you know, my weekends are, I don't want to ill. I just want to chill and keep my hands around a $100 bill. So, man, going up on a roof at like 10, 10 p.m. at night trying to find out why the fuck shit's leaking. I don't fuck with that, dog. How was your birthday, though? It was cool. We had a really white dinner. Uh, my mom had made steak and we uh, uh, fried potatoes and we uh, stole the recipe from uh, Outback Steakhouse to make uh, uh, onion blossoms from the uh, uh, air fryer. Awesome blossoms. Yeah, bro. And we were like, this is this is the whitest shit I've ever ever done on a birthday, man. Steak, potatoes and you know, dipping fried Outback onions in, in in mayo. I mean, it wasn't Outback Steakhouse. My mom made it like we just did everything in the air fryer at home. I'm just like, God damn, we are. The whiteness is very real right now. I don't mind it because the food was good. But this was a very white, very white 30th birthday. Uh, how was the cake? You, you sent me a, a text oh, yeah. of, of the cake. Was, was the cake hitting? Oh, the cake was hitting. So. We, my mom gave me this uh like menu from this uh like uh artisan bakery and <laughs> uh, i saw like almond joy cake and i was like hmm, i fuck with almond joy let's see what it can do on a cake and it was hitting my brother <laughs> was giving me shit for man you cut some small ass slices of this cake and I'm like 
if it's meat cut in slices, you know it isn't thin. You. <laughs> but yeah, man, it was chill. I I, I really did enjoy uh, the, the well, birthday think, with the fam. I think Blazer fans had to enjoy the week. Uh, it did start off a, a bit rocky, but by, by the end of it, the Blazers are 3-0 on their four-game road trip. Let's quickly recap. The Brooklyn Nets uh, ended Portland's homestand with a 116-112 victory over the Blazers. Brooklyn did that without James Harden, or excuse me, with only James Harden, no Kyrie Irving, and no Kevin Durant. So that was a rough way to end the homestand, especially coming off the worst home loss in team history uh, to the Dallas Mavericks. However, on a trade deadline day, the Blazers gutted out a comfort behind 125-122 to victory in Miami against the Heat, Dame time was clutch time, was winning time yet again. They follow that up in Norman Powell's debut and in Yusuf Nurkic's debut against the Orlando Magic, 112-105. And then just today, they get a big victory in Tampa against the Toronto Raptors. Uh, Raptors, excuse me, 122-117. to the Blazers hold the Raptors to 43 points in the second half, including a 10-point third quarter after giving up 74 in the first half. So just a complete roll, over, roll reversal. The Blazers getting it done on the defensive end of the floor. They are now 10 games above 500, tied for Denver at fifth in the Western Conference with a record of 28-18 and 18 and just a game and a half behind the Los Angeles Lakers for home court advantage. Sage, a lot of good happened this weekend. What this week, excuse me, what stood out to you the most? The apple of my eye, Norman Powell, that first game, him showing off his shooting abilities, like off the catch, off the dribble, movement shooting. That that gives me hope for a more versatile offense because he was actively moving off ball, trying to get open shots and create extra spacing. And the Blazers ran like picks and tried to get him open. You know, when you brought up Aaron Neesmith coming to the Blazers during the summer, I was like, nah, we ain't going to change this scheme. We are going to make some movement shooter, you know, life's easier. We're going to keep doing what we're doing. And to see game one, them try and get him extra spacing by running him off screens. And yo, like to see that it was a really good sign for, the Blazers offense and the scheme developing. So that's number one, what I saw. You're absolutely right. And Norman Powell actually had 22 points, which was a franchise record for a midseason debut for the Portland Trail Blazers. Did it on seven of 13 shooting, five of seven from downtown. And as we touched on, on the Norman Powell episode, he gets to the line. He actually got to the line five times more so than any other trailblazer. And because the Raptors we're having to play in Tampa and Portland being in Miami and Orlando. Norman was able to play the, really the next day after the trade. It allowed Portland to finally rest Damian Lillard, who was dealing with a, a left knee contusion. It seems like every third or fourth game, he's, you know, banging that knee into, you know, an opposition player's knee or, or someone's falling on it, you know, giving the entire fan base of Rip City, you know, a collective scare. Dame's all right. He got that. He got that, you know, that much needed rest. And Portland was able to, as they do in true trailblazer fashion, squeak away against uh, 
an undermanned and undersized team at New Orleans. We don't Magic. blow teams out, bro. It, it happens once every once every like quarter. It happens where we blow them out, man. Like, you know, it's hard to project blowouts. So I'll give them that. But it's like, God damn, Okiki was their best player. And I thought he was going to be a good player because of his defense, not not him hitting countless threes in our face. So it, it, it is tough in that Orlando game for us to, to blow them out like we all wanted. But a win is a win is a win. So I'm, I'm chilling. I'm chilling on the on the margin of victory. I just wish, wish CJ McCollum hit his player prop. But I'm happy about the dub, man. It was a 23.5 and he got 22. And I was like, oh, I even tweeted about this shit, Doug. Well, to be fair, CJ McCollum had a god-awful night. Uh, 8 of 26 from the field, 2 of 11 from 3. You don't really see poor shooting stretches like that from CJ, but he is taking time to get back into shape after really missing two months of basketball. And with practices basically non-existent, the games are how CJ is getting back into his rhythm. So uh, a tough break for you, but a good break for the Blazers as they were able to get that that victory. Sage, what else did you like this week? There was some minutes where we played Dame, CJ, Norm, DJJ, and Robert Covington. That as a small ball lineup is deadly. We can switch. We're athletic. We be hounding defensively with our three defensive stoppers. I really like the potential of if they're going small, we can match you going small with Rob at the five where he he thrives and DJJ's out jumping damn near 99% of the league for those rebounds. And then those three guards getting more minutes together. That could be a very dangerous uh, five-man lineup to the change of pace. Yusuf and Ennis will always get a line share of the minutes but sometimes you need to switch things up and we can switch things up and it can be a really deadly, really awesome to watch lineup. Yeah, I would say that's one of the things that I, that I enjoyed about this week was specifically the second half adjustments against the Toronto Raptors. Uh, really in that first half, Nick Nurse was coaching circles around Terry Stotts. He saw when Ennis Cantor came into the game, you know, Watching that game, Portland had a nice seven to nine point lead really throughout much of the first quarter. Yusuf Nurkic got subbed out. We brought in Ennis Cantor, and it didn't matter who we put him on. Nick Nurse targeted Cantor in the pick and roll, and they were getting wide open three after wide open three, and we made zero adjustment. It was basically like we were in the Twilight Zone re-watching you know, the same bad, bad movie all over again, just giving up these, these wide open threes to you know, really good shooters. And so I, I thought that Terry did a much better job in the second half of, okay, Nick Nurse, you want to play Stanley Johnson? Okay, fine. That's when I'm going to bring in Cantor. And if I'm going to match them up, and if you want to run pick and pop with Stanley Johnson shooting threes, be my guest, because we're going to take our advantage down low with Cantor, you know, cleaning glass, finishing around the rim, setting good screens. But I thought he was so smart to go small, but like you mentioned with that small ball lineup, because you don't really need Cantor out there against Chris Boucher. That, that, that is a matchup nightmare for us or Cantor getting on Pascal Siakam. Like go small, guard the perimeter and get out on, on the break. So that was probably one of the best things that I saw because seeing this Blazer team give up 74 first half points to the Toronto Raptors without Kyle Lowry was kind of a slap in the face. And, you 
you almost wonder what went on, you know, to be a fly in that locker room would have been, you know, very interesting because you have to know that a lot of players are feeling the pressure and especially the coaching staff. If you go back to the preseason, a lot of the, the media and the fans, they applauded Portland's offseason. You know, so Neil, quote unquote, did his job in the offseason. Then at the deadline, people said, you know, Norman Powell, yes, he may leave in free agency. But for this year, you got a better player. You opened up minutes for Nasir Little. You're, you're getting healthy now. Like there are no really excuses for this Blazer team to be that bad on defense. This roster is good. Is it championship level? That's to be determined. But I, I happen to think if you look at this roster and you compared it to most across the Western Conference, Really, only the Lakers, when healthy, are you going to take over? Like, you can kind of pick holes in every other team's roster. When Portland's healthy, which we are now, damn good. So, when you see them give up 74 points, you're almost just like, you're almost thinking, does it even matter who we have on the court? Are we just always going to get cooked? So, to see us come out, make those defensive uh, adjustments, hold Toronto to 10 points, it was like, okay, this team can do it. It might just take some time to gel, but you're seeing improvement. So that was like a huge weight lift up, lifted off my shoulders as a fan. Because, I mean, the first game healthy, you don't want to go out, you know, give up 150 points to the Toronto Raptors. You know, you, you brought up that type of defense where they put Ennis Cantor in some action and force him to move. I saw that with the Orlando Magic. Like they were putting him on Okiki and... You know, it was either Mello or Ennis on Okiki, and he was getting open shots just like Toronto did. It, it, it kind of is scary that once we go into playoff basketball, every second Ennis Cantor is on the court, they're going to attack him. And as we've seen, he's been a, arguably our second best player throughout this year. So to, to think about what oh, a team could do. Make no mistake about it. I mean, Ennis Cantor won us the Miami Heat game. I mean, 18 mm. points, 16 rebounds. He basically, you know, canceled out Bam Adebayo's production, and Adebayo had a fantastic night. Yes, he, you know, gave up quite a few points, but Adebayo didn't, didn't stop him from getting his either. So you kind of take that cancellation if, you, if you're Portland. So Ennis Cantor has been that dude for Portland. He, he has held us down w- without Nurkic. He's done it in the past in the 2019 playoff run. You know, he just he just does his job. But you're right, Sage. He is problematic on the defensive end against quicker players, players that can shoot, that want to get him out on the perimeter. So as valuable as Ennis is, I, I do think now that we're healthy, you know, now that you, you're starting to see just how comfortable Covington and Derek Jones are are in w- with this team, you're adding a Norman Powell. Mello can play a little smaller. You're starting to see these rotations and five-man uh, combinations that Terry Stotts has at his, you know, kind of dispersal. So that's what I'll be watching as we finish this season is will Terry Stotts be just set in his ways in terms of, okay, this is the this is the minute and the quarter. This player is coming in for this player. Doesn't matter what the opposition is doing. Or is he going to be a little bit more selective and say, you know, and it's usually you come in here, but this is just a poor matchup. Or, you know, I may usually go Carmelo, but I can really get away with just punishing the opposition by giving it to Ennis down low. So how Terry Stotts manages these combinations 
I think will ultimately decide at the end of the season whether we're happy with the result of the season or if we're left wanting more. And and with with I mean play when we think playoffs matchup is going to be really important. Can we get away with playing Ennis and Mello, or do we need to shift to a more athletic lineup? I mean, with Norm, we actually have more of more athletes and you know an easier way of a pa- easier pathway to get in seer more minutes so with the uh, trade that happened it kind of gave us more opportunities to try these lineups before the playoffs because you don't want to try a lineup that's only been on the court six minutes together in you know clutch time or you know let's say cj picks up three quick fouls well let's put in dame norm nasir cove and nurk you don't you want to be able to say okay this is a plus lineup so we can put it in so being able to experiment with lineups construction to see what we can do is going to be very uh, important for us in the future i agree and i think the catalyst of those multiple lineups that portland can throw out there is robert covington um i i don't think we can talk enough about really how fantastic Rocco has been probably since February. And I know there were a couple games where he wasn't scoring. I mean, had a couple of goose eggs, wasn't, wasn't shooting the three very well, but this is going to be, this may sound strange. The Blazers have probably what the 28th or 29th best rated defense in, in the league. I still think he deserves first or second team defensive honors because it's not his fault. We're, we're this bad defensively. Like he was clamping up Pascal. He was doing whatever he could. I mean, he gets clutch drips, blocks from behind, and then he has absolute nails when he's getting open threes. Like this is like the Robert Covington, probably in Philadelphia. Like I watched him play in Houston quite a bit. He had a pretty short stint in Minnesota. This is probably the best basketball he's played in, in quite some time. And I, I don't think it could come at a better time if, if you're a Blazer fan, right? Absolutely. He's been, dude, he's been making plays. There's a few co- times a quarter where he just makes play that only he and the other top one percentile defenders in the league can do. Again, you, you look, if it wasn't for he and DJ, we would be the dumpster fire of dumpster fires defensively. Fans and media people can bitch about the defense and they have a right to, but don't put the blame of how bad we are on Rob because he's doing the best oh. we can. You're best looking can, at post, post all-star Robert Covington. So in 10 games, you're getting 33 and a half minutes from Cove, 12 points, 53% from three on damn near six attempts from downtown. He's giving you seven rebounds, two assists, a block and a half and a steal and a half per game while only committing three fouls. So he's able to stay on the floor and defend the opposition's probably most lethal score. I mean, th- this, this is the type of player that we've been yearning for probably for ever since we started this podcast age, like this two way forward who is getting it done on both ends. He's able really to play the three through five. You can kind of mix and match him however you want. He's so smart either in man-to-man situations or coming over and helping out. And I think just having him as an outlet for Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum is going to just be magical for for the Blazers come postseason time because, you know, we're so used to watching 
maybe it's like a Zach Collins or an Aminu or even a, a Harkless kind of take the lion's share of those Lillard passes from, from downtown in the postseason. Well, now you're starting to look at it could be Norman Powell, who was the third best three-point shooter yeah. um, in the league, or Covington, who was just on an um, incredible trajectory and is shooting the, the lights out of the ball. And it doesn't seem like he's you know destined to – you know, it's going to stop anytime soon. He's getting these great looks. He's in a rhythm. It's sustainable. The ball's coming after him. It's, it feels sustainable, 100% right. And so you start having those two as your outlets. Teams are going to have to really pick their poison. So I'm not too concerned with Portland offensively going up against really any team in in the league, especially in the playoffs. I think the only team that could stop us is someone with a – really awesome perimeter defender and then someone with a big that hedges at like that elite level hedging so a bam out of bio and anthony davis but i don't i'm not fearful of like serge abaca or you know rudy gobert trying to get into a stance and switching hard hedging on damian lillard after that pick and roll i think the recipe to beat us is elite on ball and then elite uh guy that can hedge and I don't think that exists, though, not for 48 minutes, not with a healthy Lillard and a healthy McCollum, because you're able to. You're able to kind of interchange who's going to get going and really in the playoffs, one of them is going to be on the court at all points minutes, of, of yep. the game. Exactly. And so if you're if you're just able to to make the extra pass, make it quick and decisive. That's going to take a lot of the aggressiveness away from a team. They're going to they're going to back off. So it really will come down to like you said, hitting those those open shots. Like I look at the Miami Heat. Yeah, they had Bam and they, they play good D. Granted, Jimmy Butler wasn't there, but Dame even kind of dinged up, still gets you 22. CJ had 35, 29, I think, in, in the first half. Um, and that was without Norman Powell and, and Yusuf Nurkic. So I think this team, when they take care of, when they value the possession, they, they can score in anyone. I, I really do think it all starts on the defensive end. We've seen them against the Pelicans put together a full 48 minutes. We saw them tonight uh, in that third quarter lock in. Uh, we've seen them get the stops in the fourth quarter against the Miami Heat when they went on that, I think, 11 or 13-0 run to kind of take control of that game. They have it in them. So it's going to come down to a few factors. One, is the team going to be – are they just going to have the, the urgency to get it done? Defense is a lot about, you know, it's communication, it's discipline, it's effort, intensity, urgency. Like, you have to want to play defense. It just doesn't – nobody's just a, a good defensive player when they walk out on the floor. Defense, you have to bring it to become a good defensive player. So can they rally around it? Like, we've heard the Blazers talk about being a top-10 defense ad nauseum. I mean, it's almost to the point where, for Blazer fans who grew up in the Sean Kemp era – when Kemp came to Portland, I swear to God, every media writer was like, oh, my God, dude, I saw him work out. He probably lost like 10, 15 pounds. He looked shredded. He is the Seattle Sean Kemp. And then you get him on the court, and it was not even close. Like You see all these Bigfoot fairy tales. It's kind of what it has been like for this Blazer team talking about being a top-end defense, talking about getting it done on that end of the floor. Let's see some results, which we're starting to see then we can start to believe that because if you go out and you lose to the Toronto Raptors and you give up 130 points without Kyle Lowry, those words continue to ring hollow, like more and mm. more hollow. Like there, there's no meaning to it. So 
you know, can the team hold each other accountable to? And I think it, it goes all the way down from the first to the 15th man on, on the roster. And I think the most important will be just the rhythm and communication that this probably the eight, nine men rotation gets with one another. You know, we, Derek Jones Jr. is a new player. Uh, Robert Covington is a new player. CJ and Nurk missed two months of the season. Norman Powell, we, we just added, you know, God, we're, we're talking about just, just really Dame, Simons, Mello, and Ennis Cantor. And those are really not great defenders, but those are the ones that have been in the trenches the entire mm. year and have some form of a chemistry. So it will take time to, to build that chemistry, but I really do think the talent is there defensively. What do you think, Sage? What do you think is is the thing the Blazers – do you think it's defense that's holding them back or the thing that can really untap their potential? Absolutely. In that Orlando game, I was paying attention, and uh, Tara Biggs always talks about this, is the pointing and communication. You saw Norman Powell communicating with his uh, teammates a lot. I mean, obviously, he needed to communicate because he doesn't know any plays or anything. But you saw him pointing. You saw him switching. And I've watched Gonzaga, and I've watched all of these college players play, and they're communicating, and they're animated. And that's the type of energy that Norman Powell was bringing to us in these last two games. So I think communication, along with effort, is going to be a huge huge thing for the Portland Trailblazers success. So if they can continue to communicate, even when it gets hard, I think that's going to be huge. So I, I want to see Norman Powell and Robert Covington play as many minutes as they can together, because I think that is a two man lineup that can be really good defensively and be really good spacers offensively. I would really like those two to develop that defensive chemistry. Cause that takes time. We can't become the Spurs defense of, of old, with, you know, 10 games of experience. So I'm trying to force feed those two minutes together if I was Terry Stotts. One topic that I wanted to specifically get your opinion on was that Orlando game. It was obviously Yusuf Nurkic's uh, return from his his wrist and his, his calf injury. And he mentioned to start the game that he went rogue on defense. He decided to come out and pressure and trap his reasoning was, I'm paraphrasing, and he has a, the interviews out on YouTube if you want to go look at it, but he was kind of tired of watching us play passive defense, not being aggressive, seeing Mello and Ennis Cantor in that drop coverage, basically just giving opponents whatever look they wanted to, and he wanted to go out, and knowing that Orlando was playing a, a new unit, they only had like eight or nine players, young players, he wanted to you know, be aggressive and kind of set that tone kind of caught Terry Stotts off guard. Um, what what are your thoughts on Nurk going rogue on defense? A little aggression defensively, especially in a team like that with all those new players, seven or eight active bodies. And I bet you most NBA fans can name three. Trying to put pressure on a defense that is brand new, I think is perfectly fine. It forced turnovers and... I think that us, the offense to make us react is kind of a losing situation. Sometimes you need to make that opposing offensive player think, okay, are they going to hedge? What am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to position myself? So having Nurk feel like, okay, this is an appropriate time for me to do it. This offensive player is huge. I think that we have been too 
passive with our defense. So to put a little aggression in it is fine with me. If Stotts has a problem with it, he probably needs to address it with him. But I think that Nurk did the right thing in trying to put pressure on Chase and Randall or Michael Carter Williams, who's played small forward the last few years and hasn't had the uh, minutes running point. Like, uh, yo, put players in bad situations, put pressure on them, make them have to react. When you are just playing your game, you're not thinking. Force that offensive player to think. So I'm all about Nurk putting some aggressive defense into play because that's what we were, that's what the media talked about. We're going to be aggressive this year. Well, we haven't been. So if we're going to be men and women of our word, let's fucking put some aggressiveness on on display and trying to force some turnovers. When we when we get turnovers, fast breaks happen. And could you imagine what our fast break would look like with DJ running towards the rim, CJ and Norm on the wings, and trailer Robert Covington? That could be sexy as hell. So I'm all about use of putting pressure on on uh, opposing guards. We should do it more often. Like. We should have done it to Malachi Flynn more. So how are you feeling? I th- like I said, th- there's there's layers to this. If, th- if this topic were anything, it's an onion because there are a lot of layers to kind of go through. I think the first one that immediately popped into my mind was, Nurk, you're not Carmelo Anthony and you're not Ennis Cantor. You're more mobile. You're a better defender. There is a reason that they have to play drop coverage. It's because... When Terry Stotts actually tried to bring Cantor up in throughout the season to to blitz, he's not mobile enough to even put up a, a fight. Like the the ball handler would just go right between the middle, and then now you're playing, you know, four five on three, you know, three on two, just a huge disadvantage. So I actually don't want Cantor or Mello out trapping. Like they they need to kind of almost be kind of hidden in the corner. Like you need to disguise those two defenders. Um, while they're on the floor. When it comes to Nurkic going rogue on defense, I hope he would have at least communicated that to the other starters that he was going to do that. Because if you're, you know, Norman Powell in your first game, or even Robert Covington, who has probably only played like 15 games with Nurkic, if you don't see that coming, you're kind of taking a, a different defensive mindset going into the possession. So maybe what you're role on defense was gets completely flipped around because you see Nurkic, you know, abandoning his assignment, going out and double teams. So now you have to kind of defend on the fly. So I think by one person going rogue, yeah, it's a great story, but it can also really unravel a, a team defense because defense is a team concept. Like, as I mentioned, Covington, I think is a first or second team, all defensive player, but the players around him don't really reflect our team numbers. So defense, is it takes five to, to get a stop. It very rarely is it just one-on-one on an island. Okay, we've got the best defender on the planet. We're, we're going to win. No, you need to have rotations. You have to have help. You have to have the right help. You just have to know what to do. And I also think it goes back to Terry Stotts giving players a little bit too much freedom. I, I think he's too much of a player's coach in that he doesn't really know when to to re- re- reel in a player, and I'm not saying Nurk was completely out of out of the, you know, out of the the realm to go out and do what he wanted to do. But I think you see this in some of our shot selection, where Terry's like, "Well, I, I give him the green light, so you know, I'm kind of going to live with it." Like there's, you know, there's a lot of times where he's just like, "Why are we doing this?" But it's because Terry kind of just he's he's too much of of a good guy, and I think you need to be a little bit of an asshole. 
and a little bit of a good guy. That's why coaching is so difficult. You have to strike that balance. So long story short, I like the fact that Nurik is trying to change it up and try something different. But I think there might have been a better avenue to go out and do that. Maybe that's in, in the film room or if they're doing a team Zoom. Um, Nurik could have spoke up and said, hey, why don't we do this? They, they've got all these young players coming in. Well, let's be a little bit more aggressive. And it also comes down to, you know, time, situation, score, personnel. Like, do we have the personnel on the floor to play the type of defense that can cause turnovers, can cause fast breaks? Um, because we, we have some really solid plus defenders. We also have some defenders who are really bad. And so it's just a nice, or it's not nice, it, it is a really fine tune delicate balancing act to get the Blazers to play consistent on the defensive end. And I think everyone has to be in tune with, with what they're doing. And so ultimately, yes, I I would like us to play more aggressive when, when we have the personnel to do so, but like if you've got Ennis or Mello out there, you kind of just have to put them out of harm's way as as much as possible. Keep them away from any sort of uh, pick and roll situations, make sure they just rebound the basketball and you can, you know, get out and use them to their advantage on the offensive end. But, you know, Nurkic back, you know, I did like how mobile he looks. And if we're able to play a good hedging defense with Nurkic and he continues to get his minutes, you know, elongated and elongated and he's able to play out there for longer stretches, that's going to make us a better team. I think that, you know, you've played basketball for many, many years. I think if Nurk said he's going to blitz on that play, I think that I think that that's a chill, that's chill. Like it, as long as he communicated, I'm gonna blitz at like you know a second before. These these players know like okay, I'll 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 uh I'll do whatever needs to be done if he's gonna blitz. So whether we trap or I'm gonna switch on to his man. I think that you know we 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 play a certain way with the personnel on our on our side, and I agree with you completely, but. If there is an opportunity to pressure some rookie point guard, I think we should we should do it. Teams do it to us with Ant, so no, no, I, it, I completely agree, but I don't think it was effective because it seemed like it just kind of came out of the blue. Like we gave up 32 points in that first quarter when we were trying to implement that. Like Orlando ended up with 105 points with, and I looked at who played. There's there's at least two players who I've never heard of. I was like. Are you sure you're actually an NBA player? Like, I, I think it just it kind of threw us out of out of whack of what we wanted to do. I'm not saying our regular strategy would have would have been any better, but like, had it been communicated before, and if I'm like, if I'm Cub, if I'm DJ, if I'm Norman, I'm like, okay, he's gonna blitz the ball handler. That this is what I'm gonna do. But defenses at the NBA level are much more complex than what we used to do at the North Park blocks. You know what I'm saying? Like, so even if I just think it throws the entire. It's all about opportunity and it's all about all those factors that you mentioned. So if, if it's communicated and understood, I'm all good. If he didn't do, if he didn't communicate with Cove or DJ on the screen, then there's a problem, but you know, in the right opportunity, I'm always willing to be aggressive defensively because us being a passive defensively isn't giving us anything. So adding some variance to the defense is always good. 
you know, I'm, I'm all for adapting and adjusting the defense, getting more, forcing more turnovers. There, there's just, there's a right way. I think that can make it more, more efficient, more effective. I think that's, the, that's what, what most of the fuck up, the oopsie doopsies defensively were when we just challenge players that they didn't know, like James Ennis to shoot threes. That's where shit got really bad. Like, in my mind, two days after the game, I, I feel like, you know, Ennis and Mello not closing out was more a detriment than blitzing a few times. So the Blazers decided to start Norman Powell against the Toronto Raptors with Damian Lillard back in a lineup that is a, a small three-guard lineup to go along with Covington and Nurkic. Sage, what are your thoughts on starting Powell? Do you like him in the starting lineup? Would you like to see Derek Jones stay as the small forward and Norm come off the bench? Uh, the statistics, before you answer, I'll give you... This is something that I we found out Raptors Twitter told us. Like, bench, bench Norm, that is a thing. It is a bad thing that, that nobody should wish upon any Blazers game because the splits, when you look at Norman Powell as a starter... Versus a reserve are mind-boggling. So in 32 games this year as a starter, Norman Powell shooting 53% from the field, 46% from three, and he's given you 23 points, three and a half rebounds, two assists. As a reserve, in 11 games, the shooting drops 18% down to 35. He's still a 38% shooter from three, but he's giving you 11 points in comparison to 23. The rebounds are cut in half. The assists are cut in half. So it seems like we, so for old Blazer fans who remember this, Sharif Abdurrahim, when we brought him over, pretty good as a starter. You tried to bring him off the bench so Zach Randolph could start, and the guy just, he, he couldn't perform. He had no idea what to do coming off the bench, just completely got him out of his rhythm. And so you were kind of forced to play both Sharif and Zach because, you know, you, you couldn't let, Abdul Rahim come off the bench and not give you anything. So hearing all of that, Sage, does did that influence your decision at all? Like, no. do you want him starting? Because I wanted him starting regardless. I so think Derek Jones just, does just validated what you wanted. I think that Norman Powell and DJJ aren't that different height wise. So that argument of putting Derek Jones because he's taller and can guard most wings, I mean it might factor a little, but what Norman can do as a team defender, as an offensive player, it's worth the inch of height that we give up. And then you saw DJJ in that sixth man role, and he seemed he probably had his best game against the Toronto Raptors. So I think putting him in that bench role might liberate him to be more aggressive. You saw him taking it to the hole and scoring. If he can feel more at home in that second unit with only one star than he has more space to work with as a cutter and as a driver. I'm all about it. So I would definitely put Norman Powell as the starter. Like even if the stats were inversed, I would have put Norm as the starter because I think he is better for the role that is available. And then maybe he'd be the first person off the uh, to go off the floor so DJ can run and then he can be in that second unit to be the secondary ball handler. But yeah, Norman Powell should start because of all the reasons I listed. And I think the numbers now say it too. Like he, he is better as a starter versus a, a bench 
a reserve role. Yeah, I think when you have such a disparity in production, you always lean towards what's going to net you more positive results. So if you said it was inverse, I would say no. Like keep keep him if he's like that dude coming off the bench, come off the bench by all means and give us that production. So I'm all about the production. Thankfully, the production kind of validates what we both discussed on the Norman Powell episode earlier in the week. And also, he's a he's a free agent. He's your big uh, trade deadline acquisition. If he's going to be back in Portland making you know multiple millions of dollars, you want him starting. You want him playing the majority of the minutes. Like like you said, I think Derek's game really translates either way. He's not a focal point on the offense. He his job is becoming play defense hit open threes, slash to the basket, you know, make plays happen and really just bring energy. And I think you can do that in the starting lineup and coming off the bench. So I think it is actually a nice fit. You're right. DJ absolutely had his best game as a blazer coming off the bench, play 21 minutes, seven of nine from the field, 16 points, three rebounds, two blocks, a steal, got out in transition, uh, had probably the prettiest 360 layup I've ever seen. Uh, it just looked really comfortable. Um, it was it was kind of crazy watching the, that Blazer game, just being like, I'm not really worried about anybody coming in the game right now. Mm-hmm. Like you're always you always had like a couple of grown ups on the floor, and it just it felt nice because we have been hanging on for the past two months with, you know, sometimes a little bit of a mash unit, and just just to know that okay, we're always going to have one of like Dame, CJ, or Norm out there. You have Nurk or Ennis, or you can go small like Cub and DJ play defense. If you need a bucket, you know, Ant or Mello can come in and just be instant offense. So you're starting to see like this roster is nice. Putting players in roles that they can succeed in. And if if Norm can succeed in that starting role so much more than off the bench, then I think we would be doing ourselves a disservice. Like he could be our major free agent acquisition and our draft pick. If you really want to think about it, we don't have a draft pick. So Norman Powell could be, could be considered being that major, you know, change in our, our, our team from earlier this year to this year, putting him in positions to succeed is huge. And then if Derek can, I think the thing that Derek did in these last few games is drive more. He was a cutter more and he drove dribble drove more. So if he can, if he feels inspired to dribble drive, put him in that position as the bench guy. So he can go against, you know, instead of Lou Dort, he can go against Kenny hustle or Kenrich Williams or, you know, whatever. Like I think putting him against weaker competition and letting him use that, those athletic gifts might be a really good thing for him and his production to this team. And it's not like he's not going to play in the playoffs like he did last year. Like he is an integral part of this team and he'll, he'll always have a role uh, on this team. So, yeah, I just really like how efficient Norm Powell is. He's not really a high usage player. He got 13 points on six shots, found, found himself at the line, you know, nine times, played solid defense. Like you don't really, you can run plays for him but you don't also have to at the same time. So it's nice to not have a player who needs a, a volume amount of opportunities to, to produce. And so the more players you get like that, the, the NFC Cantors, the Robert Covingtons, um, we're starting to see the Derek Joneses of the world. Like 
that makes life so much easier for the rest of the team because then you can start to have you know Damon CJ be those 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 true one one to two options out there, and then it can kind of start to to waterfall um, from there. Another, it's always good to note that Norm can do that though; he can be that lead initiator. Oh, absolutely. He just doesn't need to. What I liked, and maybe it coincides with us getting Norman Powell. Um, a player who is able to put the ball on the floor. Maybe it is with DJ being more aggressive with putting the ball on the floor. But, you know, I was really kind of disgusted with how we played against Brooklyn. Um, there was no way we should have lost that game. And I, I looked at, we got outscored in the paint. I think it was like 64 to, to 28. Uh, we, we hoisted up 55 three-point attempts. And ever since that game, the three-point attempts have kind of gone back to where they probably should fall. Yes, we took 46 against Miami, but we were hitting. We were 20 and 46. You know, it's 44%. If, if you're going to hit, keep shooting. Like, I'm not going to say don't shoot a three just to just to say you're not shooting threes. We were hot. But then you look against the Orlando Magic, 18 of 40. Tonight against the Toronto Raptors, 10 of 34. So you're starting to see the Yusuf Nurkic impact where you have that decision maker up top at the top of the key. He hits CJ McCollum for a nice backdoor layup against the Raptors. You could run some post opportunities for him. You know you can always dump it into Cantor. We've talked about Powell and DJ putting the ball on the floor, getting to the basket, getting us some free throws. Like I am totally fine staying within that 30 to 40 three-point you know, attempt tonight. I think when we start really jacking them, you know, and you're getting plus 40, 50, it, it's really hard to, to win games when you're not getting easy opportunities, especially if you're not being aggressive on defense and forcing turnovers and getting out in the break. Like the Blazers, when I think they slow it down a bit, they work for a good possession. They can hit you basically any player on that, that court can get you a bucket in a different way. So it's nice to see them starting to come together and not just relying on, on that quick three. I mean, here's, here's my thing about it is we can shoot as many threes as we want. It just has to be the quality of shot. Like if it's a good shot, shoot the three. If it's a contested shot, then try and work for something better. Unless the shot clock's running out. It's all about that specific, um, that specific shot. So if it was 50 shots, but all of them were quality, I'm fine with it. If it's 25 bullshit shots, then we probably shouldn't do it. And that, so, and I think that's where, where and lies it come. Like there, there weren't a lot of, you know, threes off of dribble penetration. It was really yeah. just our offense for a lot of, a lot of the times this season has been one dribble pass, shoot the three. It was funny. We, obviously we, we played against the Toronto Raptors and now Gary Trent Jr. is a member of the Raptors and I was watching the game with I was watching the game with Olga and I noticed a couple of, of Gary Trent possessions and I was like I kind of like kind of winced a bit and she's like what, what what's that for and I said I think Nick Nurse is going to have to teach some of the trailblazer out of him and what I referenced was this was during the stretch where Toronto was really working that pick and roll the ball handler was driving into the paint kicking it back out to the the roll man and they were just getting open three after open three well, Gary tried his hand at that, but instead of kicking it out to a man directly behind him, he's like, no, I'm going to pull up and take this contested too. Uh, he also had another opportunity where it was just a one dribble pass and he just, he just hoisted it up with a contested three. And I was like, that, that's, that's a bit of the trailblazer in him that Nick Nurse is going to have to uh, 
kind of work around because Gary is a fantastic player, but you can kind of see there, there were some of those contested shots. It's like, yep, I, I've seen that shot in this offense multiple times. So I just thought it was kind of funny since that trade just happened. And then we played them two games later. So hopefully less, less of that for Portland. If, if your teammates are cool with the shot that is taken, take the shot. But if like in the, when you're watching tape and the, the teammates are upset with the shot, that's when you should probably pass up that shot. So if, if Dame's cool with CJ dribbling seven times and taking a contested jumper, then screw it. If the rest of the team's cool with it, okay. But if, you know... I think it, that's well, kind of the problem, though, right? Like, I think the Blazers are too cool with so many shit shots. That's why we take the most contested shots. So that's why I think it's going to work in Toronto for Gary. I think Gary is going to evolve even more in Toronto because Nick Nurse is not going to play with that. Like, they play really good team basketball. In Toronto, like at, you see Norman Powell, like where how he evolved from, you know, a late first round pick out of UCLA in 2015. to now he's going to get he's going to get the bag. Like he is a really a complete offensive player. And he had, you know, Dwayne Casey and Nick Nurse, you know, kind of help grooming him. And you know, just, Toronto moves the ball really well. And I also think that when you're talking about watching tape, Damon CJ have a they have a history of make they they are bucket getters they are tough shot makers and tough shot takers like they have kind of a rep for okay they've kind of put in that the equity of okay we get results so they can get away with it a little bit more even if you're it's a little bit more maddening so for for g trent i think i I mean mellow probably has it too (laughs) yeah you're absolutely yeah those three can kind of take some shots where you're kind of left scratching your head but that's kind of what they built their rep on. So you kind of have to take the good with the bad. But again, I think the Blazers, I've liked a lot of the shots we've got out of the offense. It has been so much less isolation. Um, Dame's just dropping dimes like crazy because the the teams are kind of like putting a lot of focus on him. And then Nurk just gives you like, Nurk looks so much better. And I know he's only played like a total of 40 minutes but he's looked so much better than he ever did really at any part of this season. And I know he was dealing with a lot of family issues. So if we get any sort of a bubble nerd, like that's when I think this team really starts to take that, that next step. And this is not a knock on CJ McCollum, but if we're to the point where we're discussing who's the, the second best blazer, that's a great thing for this franchise because that means Nurkic has elevated his play up to the level of CJ McCollum. And then you're really starting to think, okay, we've got, this can be a big three that works. And Mm -hmm. so the signs so far have been pretty positive. Uh, CJ had a tough shooting night. Like we mentioned in, in Orlando, he goes nine of 18 tonight, uh, 23 points, seven assists, seven rebounds, five assists. And he hits like three clutch buckets to, to close out the Raptors. So you're starting to see him get his rhythm back. He's taking a little bit more of the similar shots that he took last year in terms of those tough contested twos, whereas before he got hurt this year, it was the volume threes. I think we're going to see him get back to that volume three. If he can get back to his production pre-injury, you get Nurk back to bubble Nurk. Covington continues to play at, at his level. You add in Norman Powell. I mean, you know what you're going to get from Ennis Cantor. You know what you're going to get from Carmelo Anthony. 
there's players though on this roster that can really elevate their play based upon the, their variance. And, and if you get that and you start to click, then Sage, this team becomes the one we're all thinking could be a Western Conference final participant. Like mm-hmm. the, that that was always the the possibility. And you know, so far the early returns are it's it's looking good, but there's still a lot of basketball left to be played. Mm-hmm. So do you want to go to the questions or do you want to pre- uh, predict the games? I have one more question that I want to okay. ask you. So we saw the Portland Trailblazers rest Damian Lillard against the Orlando Magic. It was the right decision. He had been banged up previously, got banged up the previous night, uh, took a knee from Trevor Ariza. And you figure if you can't beat the Orlando Magic with a plethora of new players because they're, they're people from Chicago uh, were able to come in, in Denver, their their new acquisitions. Something's wrong. You know, Portland thankfully was able to eke out that victory. But then they played him just 48 hours later against the the Raptors and he went 38 minutes. So we've also heard Dame talk about earlier this year during uh, post-game interviews that, you know, seeding really doesn't matter. You just want a top six seed so you avoid the play-in with limited fans. There's really uh a limited home court advantage. It's really all about the matchup and what team you kind of want to play in that first round. So my question for you, Sage, is at what point do you start load managing Damian Lillard for legit reasons? Because he he is banged up and you can he's even mentioned like he doesn't have the necessarily the 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 explosiveness to to get to the hole to to shake his defender. And so I think that's where we saw him really struggle shooting the basketball over this this past week. So at what point do you start resting him versus versus chasing a seed? Because, you know, as I mentioned to start the show, we're clustered up. Like we could realistically get to the three seed. We could fall into the play-in. Like how do you balance that if you're Terry Stats? Because, you know, Damian Lillard's going to want to play 40 minutes regardless. Like he's he's a you know self-described soldier. Like he always wants to be out there. But how do you say. handle this if, I mean, if you uh, were Terry the organization? Stout. Terry Stotts always plays his guys major minutes. like. He pushes the limit on Dame and CJ quite frequently. So I don't think he's going to load manage uh, Dame or CJ. Maybe if like it gets to the point where Neil and management has to step in, he will. But if he has his druthers, he's probably going to play them major minutes for every possible game he can, unless the medical staff says not to. That's just that's just Terry Stotts. He plays his guys a lot. So... I'm really happy how he has played Nurkic his 18 to 20 minutes a game. But with Dame and CJ and probably Rocco in the future, I think he's going to play the major minutes, especially if it gets closer to, you know, the playoffs and they want to play against a certain matchup. I think that they will play it. I think they're going to be smart with Dame. And I think they have to be smart with Dame. One, we have to look back at, at past Portland Trailblazer playoff performances. What usually happens? We fizzle out because we expend so much energy during our, our fantastic second half performances to either get a top three seed or to even just make the playoffs. And then by the time we get to the postseason, there's no more gas left in that tank. I mean, Dame has even mentioned that Western Conference Finals, they were an empty. There, there was nothing left to give for that Blazers roster. You also look 
to the future. You see what Steph Curry's doing with the Warriors. I think Steph's two to three years older than Dame. You know, Dame signed to that Supermax through the 2025 season. He's going to turn uh, 31 years old in July. You realistically want about five more really elite years out of Damian Lillard. Like, so you need to kind of watch his body, watch his minutes, make sure he's, he's you know, he's able to take care of his body and get the rest that he needs, especially if, you're, if your goal is to make a deep playoff run. You now finally have, I think, the best roster that Damian Lillard has ever had. I think the Norman Powell acquisition gives you a legitimate top 10 starting caliber shooting guard. You've got CJ McCollum, who was averaging damn near 30 points before he got hurt. You've got Nurkic back. This team needs to, and I think it's for the betterment of the team going into the postseason as well, they need to know they can win without Damian Lillard. They need to know that, hey, I can perform as well. Like We don't always need to rely on Dame and Dame time to bail us out time and time again because as fantastic as Dame is, he's only one man. It takes a, it takes a whole team to get the job done. So if, if I'm Portland, what I do is as I schedule watch, I look at it and I'm thinking just even for the next two weeks, oh, we play the Detroit Pistons on Wednesday. Let's rest Dame there because then our next game is not until Friday. So you would technically get five to six days of rest right there. You've got the Oklahoma City Thunder. Shea Gildas-Alexander is going to be out for a while. You should be able to beat the Thunder without Shea. And if you're not playing Dame, that's also on the second night of a back-to-back. So just start to find some of these games here and there where you feel comfortable that your team should get the job done. Because this Blazer team, I think, with a worse seed, is much more of a threat with a healthy, fully explosive Damian Lillard than with maybe a three seed. But God, who knows what's left in the tank because of all the energy that you had to expand to get there. And I think that's kind of what you saw in 2018 Mm -hmm. when we really went on that run. We won 13 straight and we got to the three seed. I mean, the Pelicans blitzed us and punched us and, you know, just so aggressive with the trapping. We, you know, you just can't, you just kind of run out of gas. And that's what we did. The Pelicans took it to us. We, we see the Warriors, I, what they did. So I, I just want us, I want us to be at full strength, fully energized, because that's that's what the great teams do. That, that They manage their players and they get the seed that they feel most comfortable with. Like there's clearly a fine line with what seeding you feel comfortable with. But I mean, LeBron goes in, you know, he's, he's resting, he's ready to go make that run. Like Steph and Clay, they, they're, when they were in their heyday, they had their energy stored up. You know, Kawhi does it. I think it, it's time for Portland just to spot, spot games to take off because I don't think, and you made this point, you can't just say, oh, we're going to play Dame 30 minutes a night. That doesn't work. Terry Scott's is going to be like, you're going to play 40. Dame's going to be like, hey, I, I need to get back in there. I'm going to play the whole fourth quarter. Like, you can't keep Dame away from the floor. And Terry Stotts is never going to tell Dame not to play. So I think there needs to be games where it's it's CJ's time. Like, okay, CJ, you, know, you had two months off. Like, you, you got a lot of gas in that tank. Lead us to a couple of victories. That's that's only going to make you a better player. That's going to make the role players a better player. Uh, just just. I think it can only benefit the Blazers. And if you lose without Dame, then that just kind of shows, I think, even the more kind of like the faults in the roster that you can hopefully address in the offseason. But where we're at, we're deep, we're talented. We need to be able to win a couple of games without Dame. I, th- I agree with everything you said, but 
you or I aren't the coach of this team. It's it's Terry Stotts. So, but I think isn't the organization making not? I I don't think Terry made the call that he was resting. I think that comes down from management. Management. I I, I, I I'm I sure I am sure it does, but. In every game that Dame is going to be available, he's going to play as many minutes as he can physically handle. So yep. if if management steps in and says, hey, we're going to rest Dame against Oklahoma City, that's dope. I just think if Terry Stotts is left to it on his own, he's going to play him as many minutes as he can. I mean, <clears throat> there's coaches that are going to spot you minutes but if they see that th- he this player isn't playing at his optimal. Terry Stotts plays his dudes a lot. So that, that's just something that you have to factor in. Like, if you want Damon CJ to have rest days, probably don't want to have Terry Stotts as your coach because that, that doesn't jive what he wants to do. It, it, I mean, I it's, it's the sad truth of let's, Terry Stotts. Let's hope the organization is smart, though, because we've got the franchise that we need to take care of. Wherever you may be, this is Bill Shinley. Good night, everybody. Let's go!